You're listening to The Bloodline with LLS. We'll be joined by experts who will help us understand current issues and resources available to those diagnosed with blood cancer. Holidays and, you know, those things are, are, mean so much more now than they did prior to cancer entering our lives. This may potentially be a cure for some patients. We'll also be speaking with patients and caregivers who will share their cancer journey with us to better understand life after diagnosis and let you know you're not alone. Beforehand, my job was to earn a living for my family. My wife said to me, your job now is to live. And that's what I'm doing. I'm living my life the way I want to live it, and I'm really enjoying it. It's a much more fulfilling life. Let's get started. Welcome to The Bloodline with LLS. I'm Alicia. And I'm Lizette. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode. Today we'll be speaking with Dr. Rain H. Rouse. Dr. Rouse is a pediatric hematologist and oncologist at Texas Children's Cancer Center, where she is a member of the Leukemia and Bone Marrow Transplant Program. Dr. Rouse has spent the past several years of her career pioneering immunotherapy research for patients with refractory leukemia and lymphoma. Specifically, she works as part of a research program called the Center for Cell and Gene Therapy at Baylor College of Medicine, focused on translating targeted T-cell therapies from the bench to bedside, and has been involved in every aspect of CAR T-cell development for clinical use. She has significant clinical experience in taking care of patients who have received CAR T-cells and is passionate about ensuring patients and families understand this exciting new therapy. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Rouse. Absolutely. I'm excited to be here. We've done so many things with you. I feel like I feel like we know you now, Dr. Rouse. We're just having a little chit chat. <laughs> what is CAR T cell therapy for the listener? So I'll first start by defining what a CAR T cell actually is. So CAR stands for chimeric antigen receptor, which is a whole mouthful, but all that means is it's an artificial receptor that's been made in the laboratory to target something specific. So to make CAR T-cells, what we actually do is we collect normal T-cells from patients' bodies, all patients, everyone, healthy people, everyone, has T-cells in their body that have a regular T-cell receptor on them that's supposed to be going around the body looking for viruses, looking for things that aren't supposed to be there, looking for cancer cells. We take these T-cells and we take them to the laboratory and we introduce this artificial receptor called the CAR, okay? The reason we do that is because we want the T-cells to take up these CARs, express them on their surface so that if they come into contact, with a cancer cell that expresses kind of the matching link to this car, they can target them to be cured. This process involves usually collecting the T cells through a process known as leukapheresis, where we collect out only T cells from patients and return all the other parts of the blood. We take them to the laboratory. We use an inactivated virus to carry the car into the cell, and it therefore changes the machinery, the whole genetic makeup of the T cell, and causes all the T cells in the culture to express this CAR molecule. And then we feed them and grow them with nutrients and cytokines, grow them in number, and then they're ready to be given back to the patient. And we encourage you listeners to listen to our episode with Dr. Rouse, in which we spoke 
with her about CAR T-cell therapy and how it works. And we also did a telephone web program with Dr. Rouse and Dr. Loretta Nastapil from the University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center in Houston, Texas, in which they spoke about CAR T-cell therapy in children and adults with blood cancers. So you can access that archived program by visiting www.lls.org forward slash programs. So to jump into this episode, Dr. Rouse, what types of cancers can CAR T-cell treat currently? That's a really great question because just a few years ago, the answer would have been very different and, and much more limited. So the most common cancer that's been treated with CAR T-cells are leukemias, usually B-cell malignancies. This is like pre-BALL in children, which is the most common uh, blood cancer but also lymphomas that can, you know, occur in adults, such as diffuse large B-cell lymphoma and also in a smaller population of children. So leukemias and lymphomas, but more recently we've seen CAR T-cells targeting other types of leukemias, such as AML. These CAR T-cells still remain more in the clinical research setting, but are very promising. We've also seen CAR T-cells. We have a study, for example, at our, open at our center, where we're targeting T-cell acute lymphoblastic leukemia and other types of T-cell malignancies, which have previously not been targeted using CAR T-cells. When we look at some of the other kind of blood cancers, multiple myeloma has been targeted with CAR T-cells, Hodgkin's lymphoma and anaplastic large cell lymphoma using a CD30 CAR. So the sky is the limit for using CAR to target cancers. One thing that's really promising about leukemias and lymphomas is that they're very accessible to CAR T-cells. They typically are in the blood or they're in the bone marrow, they're in the lymph nodes. So they're not usually walled off deep inside the core of an organ where it's hard for the CAR T-cells to get there and to penetrate. So that's one really great thing about leukemias and lymphomas and why most of the CAR T-cells you see in clinical practice are targeting a leukemia or lymphoma. I won't go into too much detail, but I do want to let you know that there are CAR T-cells that target brain tumors, that target mm-hmm. breast cancer, lung cancer, pancreatic cancer, neuroblastoma, lots of different tumors. Although these are earlier in their development, there are lots of studies that have some very promising results. Does it matter if it's a chronic disease or if it's a, an aggressive disease, such as the blood cancers? Absolutely. Really good question. So... CLL, or chronic lymphocytic leukemia, as, as you guys know, is more of a disease of the adult and often the elderly, and it usually also expresses CD19. Though CAR T-cells targeting CLL have not been quite as successful, and we do think that this has something to do with the biology of the disease and the expression. So we've seen the most benefit in acute or more aggressive leukemias and lymphomas, and while the, the true reason behind this is not absolutely known. We do think that that plays in, into it. That was a great question. We always get asked that question. So as far as we know it, we know that the treatment process for CAR-T is evaluation to see if the patient is a candidate for this therapy, collection of the T-cells, engineering the T-cells, multiplication, conditioning therapy, infusion, recovery. I want to spend some time on the recovery process. What does that entail? Great question. So we talked a bit in the first podcast that we did about some of the side effects you may expect to experience after CAR T-cells. And so for some patients, they may have absolutely no side effects at all. They may get their 
preconditioning or lymphodepleting chemotherapy to make space for the CAR T cells. They receive the CAR T cell infusion, which I want to mention, usually it's planned for you to receive a single infusion of CAR T cells, although there are some cases and in some studies where you may receive multiple. You have a waiting period where you're waiting for these CAR T cells to get into the body and start to take care of the cancer, kill the cancer. And then you have a disease evaluation the same way that you would if you receive chemotherapy or radiation or any other form of cancer-targeted therapy. And after that, what typically happens is you have this what we call surveillance period where every so often you'll see your doctor, they'll check your blood counts, they'll do a disease evaluation to see if you are still in remission if you originally responded to the therapy. The one thing about CAR T cells is that depending on what the CAR T cell is targeting, the side effect profile and the recovery and the long-term follow-up may be different, okay? So I discussed a bit about how in the immediate post-infusion period, which most people would consider up to about four weeks, that's the time period where you're more likely to have a side effect such as the cytokine release syndrome, which may require inpatient hospitalization, may require ICU treatment. You are more likely to experience the neurological complications that happen in a lesser degree but can happen. But outside of that period, most patients are managed on an outpatient basis, meaning they go home, they go see their doctor. If they travel across the country to receive CAR T cells, they typically are allowed to go back to their home hospital and their home oncologist. And there is not a set time point for disease evaluations, but, for example, if you had leukemia, initially people may do a marrow as frequently as every month. They might space that out to every three months, every six months, basically looking for a couple of things. One thing is any evidence of the cancer coming back, obviously, but the other thing is looking for the actual CAR T cell. In research trials, there are actual lab tests that we can do, not in the general lab like at the hospital, but in a research lab where you can actually track the CAR T cell. For the commercial product, there are usually surrogates to track. So the reason I want to talk for a bit about why it's important to distinguish your recovery or your follow-up based on the CAR T cell that you receive is that I'll use the CD19 CAR T cell as an example because it's been recently commercialized and it's the one that people ask about the most. With that CAR T cell, it attacks the CD19 that's present on the surface of the cancer. However, CD19 is also present on the surface of normal B cells, which are another type of immune cell. They're kind of like a cousin of the T cell. B cells are also responsible for helping protect you against infections, especially bacterial infections. So the CD19 car, although it's very smart, it's not smart enough to distinguish CD19 on the surface of a normal B cell versus on the surface of a cancer cell. The problem with this is if you still have circulating CAR T cells in your body, which is what we want, and they've successfully got rid of all of the cancer that's there, they typically have successfully also gotten rid of all of your normal B cells. So because of this, we have to give you a medicine called intravenous immune globulin, which is basically like a surrogate for B cells, and it helps you not get infection. So this is something that people who've received CD19 CAR T cells usually get about once a month, okay? If you've received another type of CAR T cell, the follow-up may be a bit different. 
One thing that is absolutely imperative for everyone to understand is that because these cells have been genetically modified, even though they're your own cells, we've changed the genetic machinery of them. There is a very, 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 very small risk, and it's mainly a theoretical risk, as this does not happen in CAR T cell trials. There's a very small risk that there could be a mutation and the cell could get confused and actually cause a new cancer, okay? Because of this, it is absolutely imperative that people who've received CAR T cells get follow-up for at least 15 years. This is something people rarely talk about. And fortunately, in a recent review of over 1,000 patients who received CAR T cells, we've seen no evidence of this. But it's still something that we want to check for. I will also say that most people, if they respond to CAR T cell therapy within the first few months, can almost go back to their normal life. So if this is a child, as long as their blood counts are up, which CAR T cells normally don't affect the blood count, the lymphodepleting chemotherapy we give can, but normally your blood counts are back up within a couple of months, they may be able to go back to school. Adults may be able to go back to work. So this is really an important part of the process, I think, to stress because the recovery, although it may be significant if you have a side effect like cytokine release syndrome, it is transient and typically you are back to your baseline within a couple of months. That's really big for quality of life issues, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's one of the greatest things about CAR T-cell therapy is that when it works, patients can experience a return to a quality of life that they may not have experienced in years, depending on what type of cancer they have. And it's also important to mention that CAR T-cell therapy is designed to be given as a single infusion. So what this means is, Whereas with some other therapies you try, you may try them and they may work very well, but you move on to the next therapy after that with hopes of staying in remission. CAR T-cell is designed to be a single therapy, and afterwards the plan is not to give you chemotherapy or not to give you radiation. The only caveat to this, and we discussed this a little bit on the first episode, is that right now we really can't sell CAR T-cell therapy as curative for all patients. There are some patients that will remain in remission for long periods of time, but remember, this is still a pretty early therapy for patients. So we're only about 10 years in, so we don't have long enough data to really be able to say the way we can with bone marrow transplant, for example, this is a curative option. And so some physicians and some patients and their caregivers, after careful discussion, may opt to proceed to a bone marrow transplant as a potentially curative option and use the CAR T-cell as a bridge to get there. We get the question a lot of patients who say, well, if I receive CAR T-cell and I have a relapse, can I receive CAR T-cell again? That's a wonderful question. Perhaps. And the reason that I say perhaps because it truly does depend on whether you've received a CAR T-cell on a clinical trial, whether there are actually CAR T-cells available, and kind of what the status is. So for the commercial products, they are designed for you to receive a single infusion. However, there have been cases where people's leukemia, for example, has come back, and within the original manufacturer, there were enough cells to give an additional infusion, and they've received them. The same thing on clinical trials. Another specific situation is if you have, let's say, a partial response. So let's say you have lymphoma 
and you had it in multiple places in your body and you clear up three of the four places, then that's a good case to give some additional CAR T cells to try to clear up that last place. Sometimes it requires people to undergo an additional collection or leukapheresis to remake CAR T cells. So it's a loaded question, but I'm so glad you asked it because it's absolutely worth asking. And I would encourage every patient or family member who's thinking about CAR T cells to ask their physician that. And also along those same lines, what are other questions that you would recommend a patient or, or family ask their healthcare team when it came to this treatment? Really good question. Good way to put me on the spot. I do think that sometimes patients and caregivers feel kind of bashful about asking about what the stats are. How has this worked? How many patients have you treated, especially in clinical trials? I think you need to be empowered. So no one should ever feel uh, put on the spot or embarrassed to tell you about the results of their therapies. But keep in mind that especially if it's on a clinical trial basis, there may be very few patients. Some of the clinical trials, their primary goal is to look at safety. So they may be able to tell you a bit more about safety and a bit less about how effective they are. But I do think it's important to ask about that. I think it's important to ask about what does this mean for my life? What are the logistics of it? Am I going to have to stay in the hospital? Am I required to stay here for a month or for two months? Because those are important things that factor into your decision about whether you want to go on a clinical trial, for example, or whether you want to receive a therapy and where you receive it. I think it's important to ask if you are getting CAR T cells at an institution that's different than yours or with a physician or healthcare provider that's different than your primary healthcare provider or your primary oncologist or bone marrow transplant doctor, I think it's important to ask them what the goal of the treatment is for you. Because like we mentioned on the first podcast, in some cases, the goal may be you have a perfectly matched sibling donor. You've had a very aggressive leukemia or lymphoma. We pray that this CAR T cell therapy works to put you into remission. But considering how aggressive your disease has been in the past, we don't want to lose the opportunity to provide you with a potentially curative option, which could be a bone marrow transplant. So I think knowing those things up front, And making sure there's an open dialogue between the physician who's in charge of you for your CAR T-cell treatment and your home oncologist who knows you. They know your lifestyle. Your life doesn't stop because you have cancer and, and go on a clinical trial or get another type of therapy. So it's important to factor all of that in so you can make the best informed decision. I think now we're very fortunate in that. Um, with lots of research and lots more people getting involved in CAR T-cell therapy and organizations like LLS supporting early research in CAR T-cell therapy, the options are a lot more than they were even just a few years ago. So we're entering an era where you actually may have multiple potential treatment options for relapse of refractory leukemias and lymphomas. And this is a wonderful thing, but it's also a stressful thing. So I think asking those questions up front or if your needs change two weeks in, three weeks in, four weeks in, all of us, regardless of whether we're researchers or regardless of whether we're primarily clinical doctors, we want to do what's best for you. We want to advance science, but our primary goal is to help patients. So I think being forthcoming, there's no question that it's stupid at all. So absolutely ask them. If it doesn't make sense, ask them. And I love your question earlier about what does the recovery look like? Because it's really important for life planning. Those are my my go-to questions 
that I would force any family member of mine <laughs> to ask. <laughs> well, Dr. Ross, if that is you on the spot, then I would hate to see you prepared because that was incredible. <laughs> I an Oscar or a Grammy for talking. <laughs> multiple every year. Dr. Ross, I think it's so great for patients and their families to hear doctors say that because a lot of times, like you said, they are bashful and they feel like the doctor knows it all, so I'll just come to my appointment, I'll listen, and I'll leave. We very much stress the importance of shared decision-making, of open communication, and making sure that people know that there are two experts in the room, them and the doctors. Absolutely. And what what I will say is that the patients that I have taken care of and their families who've received CAR T-cell therapy are some of the most informed people I've ever met in my life and often know things that I may not even have heard (laughs) of, but they keep their ear to the beat. And I think it's so important, and we are well past the era of doctors being paternalistic and making all of the decisions. And I will stress that the doctor that you're seeing specifically for CAR T-cell therapy Maybe an expert in CAR T cell therapy, but they're not an expert in you. And your home doctor still has a role. So never feel bashful. If you don't feel comfortable asking a question or if you're not quite sure how to phrase it, feel free to share the information of your treating oncologist because they will often ask questions that they, in their experience with taking care of you and your family, they know that you may want to ask. So I absolutely enjoy talking to referring physicians, answering questions. I talk to grandmas, aunties, brothers-in-law, <laughs> parents, chihuahuas, all of that. That is so great. And you know what? The thing about it is that I was talking to a doctor a few years ago, and they were saying, you know, people will walk into a car dealership and ask a million questions. And then when it comes to their health, they're shy. And so he was saying, yeah, and he was like, you know what, we got to get this this idea out of people's heads that they can't ask as many questions and whatever question they want about their health. This is their body. There's no question that's off limits as far as I'm concerned. And I'm actually working on another communication video strategy. And everything you just said, like both of you, was like, oh, this is exactly what I'm doing in my other project. I think I just wanted to bring up one thing and yeah, I don't know if it's a function of you treating pediatric patients and talking to a lot of caregivers all the time, but it's really refreshing to see that you are comfortable in talking about all of these different things that we may not feel comfortable in asking with adult patients. I think you're spot on. I know when I go into a room, regardless of whether it's a newly diagnosed patient or whether it's a patient who's relapsed and is coming to me for CAR T-cell therapy, that my job is to ensure that everyone there is comfortable. And I also know that some people that wanted to be there for that discussion are not going to be there, but are certainly support givers and caretakers and caregivers and love the patient, whether they're one year old or whether they're 25 years old. And so, I recognize that a lot of the burden that comes on a a parent is figuring out what's best for my child, but also having to explain to all of the grandmas of the world, you know, why they made a certain decision. So I like to take on a bit of that burden. I like to try to put myself in their position if I could at least in thought and think about what I would want to ask, think about the questions that 
I had think about what we thought about when we designed the therapy. Think about if it were me in that position or if it were a family member. So I do think that that's part of it. Thankfully, in early investigational research, I think that most physician scientists are learning that because there's a lot of unknown about some of the therapies that we use, it's important to disclose that. And then as we gain more knowledge, I think we kind of work it into our communication. So I do encourage the the patients because it's not always that the doctor is not willing to share the information. They may just not necessarily know or be at the forefront of their mind that it's information that the family might be seeking. Such great input. Thank you for that. So we know that there are cancers like indolent B-cell lymphoma, mantle cell lymphoma, multiple myeloma, and like you said earlier, acute myeloid leukemia that are being looked at for the next phase of CAR T-cell therapy clinical trials. For you, where do you see CAR T-cell therapy going in the future? You know, that's a great question, and it's one that what I've noticed is I answer it probably about every few months to someone who asks, and my answer often evolves over time. (laughs) That's good. And it's good. It shows how fast the field is moving. So one of the big targets for CAR T-cell researchers right now is for CAR T-cells that we've shown to be effective in patients, how can we make them last longer? And how can we make people not relapse with the same malignancy that has sneakily decided that it no longer is going to express the marker that we initially targeted. So that's called antigen escape or antigen negative relapse. So lots of researchers at various centers, including ours, are looking at can you target multiple markers of surface antigen on someone's cancer so that if the killing for one specific antigen poops out or if the cancer decides it doesn't want to express it anymore, the CAR T cells still have something to target with hopes of keeping a patient in remission. The other thing is that we know that CAR T cells need to last in the body in order for them to be effective long term. So lots of groups, including ours, are looking at how can we enhance the persistence and make sure that they stick around. So really technologically savvy and fancy ways of souping up these CAR T cells and not having just a walk into the into the showroom of the car dealership and pick the car, but having a really specialized personalized one. And another thing that I think is really exciting, aside from trying to look at different targets on different cancers so you can treat more people, is how can we make this therapy still have its personalized approach to be able to target a more widespread audience and make it immediately available? So this is what we call off-the-shelf CAR T-cell therapy. And what this means is it's a CAR T-cell, the way we typically think of it, that's targeting a certain one or two antigens or markers on the cancer cells, but it doesn't have to be made from the patient. It's something that can be made and engineered either to not express a different HLA than the patient, so the patient's body doesn't recognize that it's foreign and try to reject it, and there are very sophisticated mechanisms for doing that. But essentially, if you relapse and you go to visit your doctor, your doctor can say, you know what, there's actually a CAR T cell that may be available for you, and I'm going to call this research center and see if it's available, and no, I actually don't need anything from you. I don't have to set you up to have a catheter place to collect your T cells on a paresis machine and then wait for multiple weeks while they grow 
in the laboratory and hope that during that time period, we have some other therapy that can keep your cancer in, under control. So I'm really excited about these off-the-shelf CAR T-cell options that a number of groups are working on. And I think that, you know, what we'll find from this is that we may be able to reach a wider spread population. Imagine being able to pull out the CAR T-cells from the freezer and ship them to a site and you receive CAR T-cell therapy at the hospital that's 10 miles from your home as opposed to 10 hours from your home. That's really exciting. I also think that as we learn more about CAR T-cells, but also the tumors that are more difficult to target, we learn about things that are in the tumor environment. We call it the tumor microenvironment. It's kind of the, the tumor's hood, right? Tumor's hood is <laughs> a very hostile environment. It's not welcoming to chemotherapy. It's not welcome to radiation. It doesn't like our CAR T cells. You know, it's not a great open red carpet welcoming open door environment. So what we look at is other drugs or ways of targeting the microenvironment to make it a better environment for CAR T cells to thrive so that when we put them in, they actually have the ability to do their job better. So lots of combinatorial therapies. So it's really an exciting time to be a CAR T-cell researcher because there's so many exciting things that lots of groups are doing. And, again, you know, a lot of the research that we do is supported by the LLS, and otherwise we wouldn't be able to bring it to the clinic for patients. So the sky is the limit, and everyone will keep pushing towards making a bigger, better batter in the good sense of that car <laughs> That is awesome. And to think of how, like you said, how far cancer has come from it being, you know, this word that was almost taboo. No one wanted to say it. And, you know, and for it to transform into the sci-fi process that is only, you know, evolving is so incredible and so hopeful. It's so true. So I'm going to see if this works. On our homepage, we have after a diagnosis comes hope. Finish the sentence. After a diagnosis comes opportunity to be empowered, ensure that you have all the information you need to buckle down and create a care team around you of friends, families, and healthcare providers to figure out the best way to cure your cancer. We 100% agree with that. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode, Dr. Rouse. You are such a, just a pillar of hope for so many patients and caregivers. And we just thank you for all that you do and continue to do. We hope that we could talk to you again in the future. Absolutely. I would love to come on again. Thank you so much. This was amazing. This is so important. And I think there's nothing more important for me than getting the information out to patients and caregivers and their families. And, you know, there's, there's only so much you can do within an office visit or a consultation. And if I had it my way, I would just not leave the room until the, the patient or the family felt comfortable. And I would talk to every person in their life that they wanted to get their, you know, sign on for. So I think things like this are super important because we, we need them. And, you know, you guys provide an outlet that's outside of the doctor and the hospital and their family because, also, I, I note that patients feel like they're cheating on their doctor if they ask questions about another trial. Yeah. Yeah. I shouldn't feel like that. And so I think I, I love what LLS does because it allows them an outlet of knowledgeable professionals who have no 
I don't want to say ulterior motives, but don't have stake specifically in them doing something a certain way. And there's no, I mean, there's, there should be no ego in medicine, right? We 100% agree with that. Right. That's the way. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to The Bloodline with LLS. We can be found on iTunes and other great podcatchers. You can subscribe at www.thebloodline.org. Be sure to check out our archive section on our website for previous podcasts. Be sure to rate and review us on iTunes. Keep up with LLS by following us on Twitter at LLSUSA and Facebook at the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Until next time.